Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. In Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount continues. Um, Verse 1 introduces a new section to the sermon. And we're going to talk about concerning. So we're going to talk about four different um, things that we want to look at. The first one concerns almsgiving. Um, this is literally an alm is literally an act of mercy. It's more than just money. So we're going to talk about true charity being an act of solidarity, of coming alongside someone, of understanding their situation and their plight and then seeking to make it better. Um, Don't buy the praise of others in verse 2. And remember that God sees what we do, and God is the only one who really matters. The next concerning is concerning prayer. Don't be showy with your prayer. Um, A prayer closet could be created by people in the ancient days in Jesus' time by taking their prayer shawl, pulling it up over their head, And so now you're in your prayer closet. So you could stand on the street corner. You could stand in your garden. You could be kneeling in the temple. Just pull your shawl up and and go into prayer. To be even more private would be to go in a room in your house and do that. The idea being that if you're outside, if you're on a street corner or even in the temple and you pull your prayer shawl up, are you doing it to basically say, everybody, look here, I'm praying again. Watch me pray. Or do you really just want to talk to God? It's about our humility and why we're doing something. Jesus encourages us to pray with simple and direct words. And he gives us this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. There are three you petitions which agree with God, and there are four we petitions. The NRSV uses the word debts or trespasses. Um, Sin creates a debt that is owed to God. In verse 13, um, God tests, but Satan tempts. Um, In order to grow stronger, we have to use a muscle. And the only way we can use that muscle is to give things a try and see if it makes us sore. The idea being that when we learn something, we have to have an opportunity to use it or it's never really learned. At some point, we have to take the training wheels off the bicycle and see if we've learned to ride it. But God does it to allow us to grow stronger. Satan does it to try to knock our feet out from under us. So he's going to try to tempt us in ways that are overwhelming. God's going to test us, give us opportunities to grow little by little. Don't um, The prayer is don't let us come to such a severe testing that we have a crisis of faith. Don't let Satan um, tempt us in ways that call us, cause us to fall away. The forgiveness here is portrayed as being conditional. Um, Don't be a hypocrite. Um, Do what you are asking to be done for others. Forgive if you want to be forgiven. We'll also see this again in chapter 18, verse 35. Then he talks about concerning fasting. 
Um, they would often disfigure their face. This would be more than just um, their countenance, like they're making a face, they're grimacing, making sure everybody knows that they're fasting and they don't feel good. But sometimes they would actually literally rub ashes on their face or put ashes in their hair as well. Um, and Jesus says, don't do that. Don't don't disfigure your faces. Don't put ashes on your head. Groom yourself. Take care of yourself. Um, you don't even have to really mention to anybody that you're fasting. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just do it because it's a spiritual discipline that helps you connect with God. Then he also talks about concerning treasures or so concerning our stuff. The moth was a very common symbol of decay. You can see this in Isaiah chapters 50 and 51, in Job chapter 4. Rust was also a sign of decay. Um, and in this, it, the rust means like the decaying of teeth, where the teeth turn brown and cause pain and fall out. More on this in Job chapter 13, verse 28, and Hosea 5, 12. Um, this breaking in that it talks about is a digging up through the floor. Um, so they would actually dig into a room to get to the treasure. When it talks about having a sound eye, an evil eye was covetous, but a good eye has a single purpose. So we want to have a single purpose, sound eye, not um, we don't want to be distracted from our single purpose, which is discipleship, growing in God. We can't have two masters. Slaves actually could have two masters. They could belong to two brothers if they belong to a family and the family patriarch has died, or if they were part of the household who had been given responsibility for two brothers. And it says you, you can't treat them both evenly. Um, you will love one and hate the other. Hate is a little bit of hyperbole. Um, that's a Jewish idiom, hate one and love the other. For a lack of total commitment, you can't be totally committed to either. There's going to be times when those two brothers are going to ask differing things of you, or they might even ask you to um, do something for them and keep it from the other brother. Um, so divided loyalty, not having a single purpose or having a single eye, there will cause you to obey one and disregard the other. You'll prefer one to the other. We need to always prefer God. He talks about worry. The word anxious is used right here six times. Anxiety distracts us from discipleship. It distracts us from our commitment to God. Sowing and reaping refers to things that men did. That's male labor. Pulling and spinning refers to female labor, tasks that women would have fulfilled. Grass of the field um, was often a common oven fuel. So there's all of this idea that says, don't be anxious, don't worry. It's futile. It doesn't accomplish anything, and it really distracts you from your purpose. In chapter 7, Jesus talks about judging others. Judging others is another distraction. It, judge, it distracts us from judging ourselves. And if we're busy focusing on how much better we are than other people or focusing on what they're doing wrong, that distracts us from our ability to grow and deepen our discipleship ourselves. Once again, we're told, don't be distracted. Focus on your own discipleship. This doesn't disallow all judging, um, just unfair judging, uncharitable judging, and judging which distracts us and mitigates our own growth so that we 
um, retain our own sin because we're not that bad. We are told to judge a tree by its fruit and that we'll know um, a prophet by their actions in there. Um, We can't escape final judgment. Nobody can, not even us, and judging others will only distract us from being prepared for it. But we should be as charitable to others as we want God to be to us. Um, He talks about frustrating yourself, about giving the holy things to the dogs um, and pearls to swine. We can be obsessed with success Um, with being right, about proving that we're right, about having everybody agree with us. Both dogs and pigs were despised by the Jews. So it's this idea that being argumentative about having to persuade everyone um, is really being despicable, like you're, you're wasting your time. We're told to ask, search, and knock. God is not obligated to say yes Um, because we are persistent, but we are shaped by the ongoing conversation. If we keep asking and we keep seeking God, we will inevitably hear God, and that will change what we ask for and what we're seeking, and we will eventually find ourselves in a deeper role of discipleship with Jesus. Then we have the golden rule, um, a summary of the section which has come before it about judging that we should treat others the way we want to be treated. Jesus then talks about the narrow gate. Um, It's hard to walk this path. This is not easy. It doesn't come natural to us. We have to work at it, and we have to let the Holy Spirit help us. Um, It's easy to walk in lots of other ways. It's difficult to stay on this focused path of discipleship. Jesus then talks about a tree and its fruit. So this is going to harken back to what kind of judging and what we should be focused on. The emphasis here really is on our actions or our deeds. False prophets, we should watch them. Um, People will tell you who they are. They'll show you who they are by the way they um, by the way they behave. And when people show you who they are, watch. Um, Bad fruit literally means spoiled. This um, corresponds with Jeremiah 24, 8. And a bad tree is a decayed tree, like it's a tree that's dead and rotted. Sometimes those are still standing. You know, sometimes you'll cut down a tree and find out it was all decayed. It was already dead. We just hadn't realized it yet. You'll see more on this in Ephesians 4, 29. Discipleship is challenging, but worth the challenge. Um, He cautions us about self-deception in here, that words alone are not enough. Our actions have to support our claims. This idea that has taken root in so much of modern Christianity, especially American Christianity, that it's about what we believe, it's about what we say, about what we confess to. Um, You can't separate that from the way you behave. If you really believe it, then you live it. Hearing and doing. It's like building a house on the rock versus building one on the sand. The wise are obedient. They are connecting what they know to what they do. Knowledge is application. Um, Still, there is room for grace, but neither words alone nor actions that don't reflect our heart are enough. Neither substitute for full righteousness, which is outlined in this sermon. In other words, fully be a disciple. Your heads, your heart, and your hands all align with your commitment to God. 
We move into chapter 8, where Jesus draws the crowds in to hear his teaching. He teaches with authority, with conviction, and that's what they want to come to hear. He doesn't waffle. He doesn't vacillate. He doesn't just appeal to others. He speaks very authoritatively. Chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 9, verse 38 is a section of its into itself. Um, the actions follow Jesus' words. So the teachings now result in actions. There are seven healings, one miracle at sea, and two exorcisms that take place in this section of Scripture. We have a leper. Jesus touches the leper, which would have been forbidden by law, and he urges obedience and humility. He heals the centurion's servant. The centurion comes asking for help. But he's not asking Jesus to defile himself by going into a Gentile household. He says, you just say the word and I know it'll be done. The Jewish idea of the Messianic banquet when the Messianic age comes would be that um, Gentiles would observe and they would watch longingly, wishing to be included while the Jews had a feast. Jesus, however, sees um, Gentile guests as well as Jews at this feast, that um, even other people are not excluded. Then there's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Um, you have to have a, a mother, a wife, in order, to, in order to have a mother-in-law. So Peter is married. Um, she has a fever. Jesus touches her which is another violation of Mosaic law, and or not Mosaic law, um, violation of rabbinic tradition in there. You didn't touch somebody when they were sick because they might defile you, you might catch it, and if they died, then you are defiled. Um, this is going to fulfill Isaiah 43, verses 4 through 6. Um, it's a New Testament example of synonymous parallelism here, which we saw in Proverbs with infirmities and diseases that that the Messiah came to heal. There are some would-be followers. Jesus prefers to call them disciples um, rather than accept disciples when they come. He wants to call those. Jesus determines the roles that we have. He determines what our mission as believers will be rather than us deciding. We are responders to God's gracious action rather than the initiators and the determiners. We have here the first occurrence of the title Son of Man in verse 20. Um, the burial of the dead superseded all other religious duties, Leviticus 21.2, but that's not true with Jesus. He doesn't want those kinds of distractions even. Um, he, it also could mean that they're wanting to say, let, let me wait until my parents pass away and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, you can't do that. You have to, you have to declare your faith and follow. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to choose God. Um, you can't defer following until those who would object um, are out of your life. Jesus then steals the storm. Verse 24, this is a windstorm um, and an earthquake. Um, this word is used only here in Matthew and only in Matthew here. We now have the story of the two demoniacs. There are two demoniacs in Matthew's version of this story. The location is disputed. Most likely it is Gadara, which is five miles southeast 
from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a Gentile area. It has to be because we have swine herders. Um, Jewish people would not have had herds of pigs. There's no explanation for the statements uh, that the demons make through these men. The town, however, asked them to leave. That's interesting to me that they see a mighty work of God, the restoration of a person, the, the power over evil spirits, and they don't want them to stay, like take it and go back to where you came from. And so they do. They go back across the Sea of Galilee over to Capernaum, which is Jesus' headquarters for earthly ministry and the city in which Peter um, lives as well. As we move into chapter 9, Jesus heals the paralytic. Jesus' healing continues um, in the face of faith. It says he forgives sins. This fulfills the angel's words to Joseph in chapter 1, verse 21, that um, his son, that jo- the child that Mary would bear, would be the Messiah, that he would forgive the people of their sins. This, however, is blasphemy. Um, according to the Jewish people, because this is someone claiming God's prerogative as their own. Only God can forgive sin, and they see that as happening in the way that God has said, which is the sacrificial system, not by faith, um, not because the Messiah has come and said so. Now we see the calling of Matthew. Um, Matthew then throws a dinner party for Jesus to introduce Jesus to his friends. It um, seems clear to us that people respond by bringing others to Jesus, um, and we can look at our own lives and see if we are bringing other people to Jesus as well. It says that they sat at the table at this dinner party. It probably means that they reclined. At that time, at a party, they would have reclined on pillows and leaned back, resting on their left elbow and eating with their right hand rather than sitting in chairs in the way we think of. Reclining indicates a special meal or a party, um, and to recline with someone indicates full acceptance. Um, so all who are present at this party are being accepted by Jesus, and this is going to be appalling to some of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees look down on those people who have been invited, and they look down on Jesus for going. And Jesus quotes Hosea 6, 6 back to them. Um, Every table at which Jesus sits is going to be full of sinners. Whether he sits with his disciples or Pharisees or chief priests and elders, we're all sinners. There's a question about fasting. Um, Only Matthew calls the ones who ask this question disciples of John. Fasting remains a spiritual discipline, um, but it's not as it has been practiced in the past. Um, Fasting has been an act of mourning, of seeking out and crying out for God's justice. Um, That's come in Jesus. Now fasting is going to be a spiritual discipline that helps us uh, clear ourselves of distraction and better hear God to focus on Um, the things of God rather than the things of the body to take um, control over our physical bodies. He talks about wineskins that the new cannot simply be superimposed on or contained in the framework of the old. We so struggle with this, with doing something new. We want to continue the old. We want to just mix in a little bit of the new. Um, and we do not want to give up the old. And yet God continually tries to do something new. And we seem to want to resist. The synagogue leader's daughter 
now passes away. Um, and so it would have had to have been very hard for this synagogue leader to have come to Jesus. The growing opposition by the religious leaders against Jesus um, would have made it really difficult for him to swallow his pride and come, and yet he does. Um, he turns to the one that his colleagues despise, and in doing so, he might become despised by his colleagues. Compare this to, to the centurion who comes at fear of rejection by Jesus, the synagogue leader comes at fear of rejection from his peers. Um, but he's willing to come anyway. He wants Jesus to touch her. And we have what's called the miracle on the way to, the, to a miracle. There is a woman with a hemorrhage of blood. She has been constantly bleeding for 12 years. This would have kept her in a state of perpetual uncleanness, which means nobody touches her. She can't hold her children. Her husband doesn't touch her. She's not been intimate with her husband. Her friends can't touch her. They don't share meals with her. It would have been a lonely existence and one of great exasperation. She's probably been extremely depressed. She sought out every doctor she can find. She's desperate and desperately wants to be healed. And she reaches out and touches the fringe on the edges of his prayer shawl. There was an oral tradition in Judaism that the Messiah would be so anointed with the power of God that even the edges of his shawl would have healing power. So as she comes and reaches out and touches him, she not only breaks the law by touching him and risking making him unclean, but she is making a confession. I believe you are the Messiah. Please heal me and heal her. He does. Um, in verse 23, we return to the synagogue leader's daughter. There are flute players and commotion. This is the typical morning activities, the traditional things that happened when someone died. Um, what Jesus does is reminiscent of what of other resurrections that Elijah does in 1 Kings 17, what Elisha does in 2 Kings 4. Um, she is truly dead. But Jesus' words are the reason that we within the church often refer to people who have passed away as sleeping. Um, in there. Um, and he does heal him, but Jesus doesn't have to stretch out over him. Jesus just simply has um, to um, touch her, and she gets up. There are two blind men um, here in this story. Notice Matthew prefers two. There were two demoniacs, and now there are two blind men. He has a preference for the number two. They call him the son of David. Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16, you'll see this. Um, this is the only place where Jesus asks someone if they believe. Um, this blindness has social as well as religious implications. They are very limited in what they can do. Check this out in Genesis 19.11, Leviticus 21.26, Exodus 4.11, Deuteronomy 28.38, and 2 Samuel 5.8. We now have a, a man who is mute. He's also called a demoniac, so he's unable to speak because a demon is possessing him. A demon is present. Now, there are many things that this could mean. It could mean he literally cannot speak, that his tongue is bound. It could mean that he stutters. It could mean that he is uttering strange sounds, or it could mean aphasia, this inability to talk. Um, and some of the manuscripts omit verses 34, but he too finds his healing. Here Jesus speaks about harvest and laborers. Um, 
there it is a prayer to be answered by the church of each generation that Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but there are not enough laborers. Send us laborers, and we are the answer to that prayer. He's called son of David again in in chapter 9, verse 27. He's also called a shepherd. David was a shepherd in um, verse 936. Um, We see David shepherd in um, Psalm 23, Numbers 27, 17, 2 Chronicles 18, 16. In chapter 10, we have the 12 apostles. Jesus, um, this is also called Jesus' commission discourse. In verse 4, this is Canaanian is a term that is mentioned here. This would be Aramaic for zealot. Um, He sends them on a mission, and he sends them only to Israel at this time. They are not to sell the kingdom. They are not to take pay for what they do. They are to depend on Israel's hospitality culture. Um, And he's going to talk about people in terms of Sodom and Gomorrah and point out that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the real sin, was the lack of hospitality that was experienced there. Rather than taking in and being kind, they were cruel. There are coming persecutions for those who follow him. Um, Chapter 10, verse 16, echoes chapter 8, verse 15. He wants them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This was a popular proverb. It meant to be wise with the people who are good and innocent to what is evil. Um, Know about good. Don't know all the details of evil. Um, don't worry about your lack of speaking ability. Don't worry about your lack of knowledge. The Holy Spirit will help you um, stay close to and focused on God. You're going to have opposition. Jesus is facing opposition. So will we. And don't fear. Fear God more than you fear people. Don't don't fear people. All The, the worst they can do is kill you. Um, follow after the things of God. After the resurrection, um, there to share all that Jesus has said and done. Um, it's not secret knowledge. It's not going to be hidden from people. It's all going to be known. And two sparrows that he mentions here were the cheapest thing that were used for food. Um, so he talks about just it will be really, really difficult times. The witness here is not optional. We are to take a stand. We are to be witnesses. Um, the gospel will be and is divisive. There will always be mixed response to the gospel, and that mixed response will always cause conflict. I don't know why that still shocks us when it happens. Um, compare this to the hate language that we find in other gospels. Um, Jesus is the one through which we find meaning and purpose. Jesus is to be our first loyalty. And we will reap the rewards. Um, there is the Jewish salia, S-A-L-I-A-H, um, a man's emissary could act as his agent. He was to be treated just like the man himself, could do business as though the actual person were there. That's what we are. We are Jesus' salia. We are Jesus' emissaries. We can, and the disciples then, were to act just as if they are Jesus. Um, and all this hard stuff that we're going to go through is worth it. And with that, um, chapter 10 of Matthew ends.